But they always say, oh, it takes a village to raise a child. And this quote actually fought against that and said, it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to support a mother. Yeah. And I was like, that is 100% true because yeah. it's not. You're not, I'm not asking you to raise my kid. Yeah. I'm asking you to support me in raising my child and taking care of yeah. my family. And that sat with me so well when I saw that. I was like, I wish that was what people said more. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama Has Goals is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom, and whatever your goals are, together we're making them a reality. Today is such a special episode for you guys because I am bringing on one of my best and longest friends. My friend Casey and I have been friends since we were nine years old. We continued to stay friends until I moved for high school and we stayed connected. Social media wasn't as prevalent. Phones weren't as prevalent. And when you're a high schooler and I moved across country, you can only stay so connected. But I ended up back in our same town when I married my husband and we've been inseparable since. We are talking through her journey into motherhood today, and she has not had necessarily an easy go. So we're going to talk a little bit about her traumatic birth experience. We're going to talk about postpartum anxiety and depression, how she navigates being a nurse and her husband being a firefighter, scheduling and parenthood alongside those changing and busy schedules. We dive into just the realness of motherhood and some of the things that people don't always talk about. We also put this through the lens of being really independent and organized, semi-controlling individuals and how sometimes when things are out of your control, that can be a shift. This is such a good conversation and I hope you're going to love it. So listen in and grab a beverage because I know that you're going to find yourself in this story too. All right. I'm super excited. This is a really (laughs) fun episode for multiple reasons. One, this is like my childhood (laughs) best friend that I've been friends with, gosh, for since we're probably nine, nine years old. Yeah. And we're recording in person. It's the first like in-person interview I've ever done. So super exciting (laughs) while we are navigating Naptown. So Casey, welcome to the show. Other than being just like my best friend, an amazing person, all of that, I want to talk about like your journey to motherhood. Yeah. So um, your son just turned two. Yeah. And it has not necessarily been the easiest ride from the moment he entered the world. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your background and like why you thought you would have a different experience. Yeah. And the experience you did. Okay. So like Kelsey said, my son was born two years ago to the day. And I am a nurse. I am was a med surge nurse when I was pregnant with my son. So didn't really have any experience with labor or anything like that. First kid. So it was all really new to me. And I actually utilized a perinatal fitness instructor for both prenatal and postnatal workout because I wanted to be like physically prepared for labor. I wanted to make sure that I could handle it. I really was hoping to go like unmedicated. I had all of these crazy thoughts like every new mom does that they're going to be able to do it without anything. And so I, from the time I was three months pregnant, started participating in this fitness program for about two to three times a week to prepare for labor, essentially. And then from that point on, my son came 
at 38 and six, he was born, but I actually went into labor after my water broke at 38 and four. So that's 38 weeks and four days gestation. And I labored at home for about eight hours, then went to the hospital, was forced and later dilated and didn't really find out until after I was admitted that the reason I was having so much pain while I was laboring is because my son was flipped over. And the ninth way to call it is accidentally side up. So he was facing up instead of facing down. And I eventually did end up getting an epidural just because I was having so much back pain with each of my contractions. And because my water was broken, they had to confirm, in fact, that was the case. So it's basically like getting a pap smear while contracting. And that, as anyone else who's ever had a baby, anytime that they check your cervix, causes your contractions to be worse. And so I was having a lot of really consistent, heavy contractions. So I ended up getting an epidural. And almost 24 hours in, I was able to actually start pushing and push for a really long time, four and a half hours. And my son was essentially getting stuck. His head was at the point of accident, but yeah. we, our anatomies just didn't work together. My pelvic anatomy, the fact that he was facing up, there were a lot of things fighting against us. And so after a lot of discussion, the doctors and I opted to go for C-section, which as somebody who was a medical professional, I wasn't really concerned about. I take care of a lot of patients post-surgically and felt really confident just in general about it. While I was in nursing school, I was in a lot of C-sections. It wasn't like a scary thought for me to go into surgery. And so my son was born a couple hours later, one something in the morning, and that was the end of that. And so here we are thinking everything was really great. And then a couple hours later, when they were changing shift, the nurses were noticing that my vital signs, my blood pressure specifically was a little on the low side and I wasn't really feeling too hot. And they discovered that there was an internal hemorrhaging happening. So I was bleeding internally. They did a lot of different tests and exams to try to see where the bleeding was coming from. I was getting blood transfusions almost around the clock because just with continuous lab work, my blood was not recirculating. It wasn't regrowing. And so I went into surgery almost exactly 24 hours after my cell was born. And I was okay with that, except that in that moment, my son is crying and screaming his head off because he was hungry. And I have anesthesia doctors and surgical doctors at my bedside, along with nurses, giving me rapid blood transfusions, telling me what it is that's going to be happening, going through all the risks of now going under general anesthesia, no longer using an epidural. And because they couldn't find where the bleeding was coming from, the possibility of a hysterectomy. And so that just created a flood of emotion between all of those things. And of course, I got very emotional at that moment in time and had never really been scared from surgery before. I went into surgery just 24 hours earlier, but definitely had this nerve of, am I going to come out of this? Was this the last time that I'm saying goodbye to my husband and my son? What's going to happen? Also, is this the possibility that this is going to be my one and only child? Like there were so many things going through my head and I just had to focus on like getting through it and being okay with what was happening, trusting the doctors, trusting the medical staff, which I did. I had no question whatsoever yeah. about how they were handling it. I felt very comfortable with the medical staff and here I am. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a hysterectomy and still had my uterus and I clearly came out of the surgery without any issues, but it definitely led to a lot of like postpartum things that I wasn't really expecting or prepared for. 
So obviously, this is a very traumatic situation. Yeah. And having the medical background you have, that can be helpful and hurtful yes, in the moment. Absolutely. Because for me, in my birth story and situation, like I had no idea. I was just like, we're going with the flow. We're going with the motions. The other thing that we both have in common is we're both very independent, strong yeah. women. And so typically, we're able to take the lead and handle ourselves. And also having strong partners, we both share that in common as well. They're used to letting us take leads sometimes yeah. being the strong person we are, but they're also very nurturing, supportive people. And I know in a situation like this, it's also really difficult for the partner yeah. because they're watching you not be able to take care of yourself for yeah. maybe one of the first times ever. Yeah. And they're not able to help you either. And that is one part of it that I don't think people talk about enough because yeah. obviously this is happening to you, mm -hmm. but this is also happening to the family. And it's a very different dynamic. Yeah. Your family and my family hasn't typically experienced yeah. before. And all of a sudden, no one's in control. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to figure out how to stay alive yeah. and how to make it through what's supposed to be a really beautiful moment, yeah. right? Your son just comes into the world. You're now a mom, but you have all these other things questioned. Yeah. And in the moment, there really is nothing you can do. You're just mm -hmm. trying to get through the pieces. Then you were able to come out of that. You're able to get home. Yeah. Let's talk about how that kind of like down happened of being like, okay, wait, we're okay, but am I? Right. I don't really know. Yes. We spent almost an entire week in the hospital from start to finish. And by the time we got home, I was really ready just to be home and was going through the motions. My husband is a firefighter. And so he took a couple weeks off um, at that time to be able to be home and help again, just because this experience was not what we were expecting. And yeah. I was not able to be as independent as originally planned. I basically went through two C-sections within a 24-hour period. And prior to that, basically was having a vaginal birth as well for pushing for yeah. four and a half hours being 10 centimeters dilated. So my body was in major recovery mode. And so once I finally got past that initial recovery and was more mobile and a little bit more independent, was able to do things on my own, it was time for my husband to go back to work. And then it was navigating what was next. And I can remember the first time I was trying to create a little bit of independence for myself. Not that I wanted to be away from my son, but it was like, okay, we need to get some groceries. Why don't I try going to the grocery store and leave you, my husband, with my son? It'll be a quick trip. Yeah. And I found myself on our way, on my way to the store without any issue. And then as soon as I got to the store, I felt then like this really weird urge in me to constantly be calling my husband to check in to make sure everything was okay. Because yeah. it was my first time being away from my son since delivery, basically. And I wasn't that I didn't trust my husband, but it was like this really weird feeling of, is everything okay? Is he doing okay? Is my husband okay? What is happening? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. And found myself in the store basically having to leave. Like I couldn't concentrate any longer on my shopping list. I left my basket halfway full and I just left the store. It was like I had to get home. Yeah. And it takes me 30 minutes. I was going to say, house. I think that's an important part too, is like this could happen if you live down the street, but right. like you don't live right by a store. Right. So it takes me 30 minutes just to get to a store for my house. So in the time span that I drove, and got to the store and came back, it was almost a total of two hours that I was away. And 
I was just in straight panic mode. And I felt really good once I got home. I knew that my son was safe. It wasn't a concern, but it was like almost this feeling of I was being torn away from him again and I couldn't control the emotions. Mm -hmm felt almost like a panic attack. I've never had one before. And that was the best way that I could describe it. Yeah. And so I tried to just give myself some grace and work through it and then tried doing the same thing um, about a week or two later and had the exact same feeling and reaction yet again. And so at that point, I was almost three months postpartum and said that it was time for me to maybe talk to my doctor and find out, is this something normal? Because yeah. again, I was a first time mom. And yes, I had a traumatic birth story, but I also knew that from your experience and other people that it wasn't completely uncommon what I went through, but also not the norm. Yeah. And I just, I reached out to my doctor and I said, this is what's going on. Is this something that I should be expecting? I understand baby blues. Before I left the hospital, they were talking to me about postpartum depression immensely Yeah. because I guess in their eyes, they thought that I was going to be at high risk because of my birth experience. Yeah. And basically came to find out that it wasn't really postpartum depression I was experiencing, but postpartum anxiety. Yeah. And I was able to meet with a counselor and go through that process, but really didn't know. Like they don't, you don't hear about that. You always hear about postpartum depression. You don't really hear yeah. about postpartum anxiety. And after working through it and talking to a counselor and meeting once a month and going through that process, I learned a lot more about how to control what was going on? What was I feeling? But also what was driving that? And it truly was. My husband and I talked about it a number of different times. And just that feeling of basically being stripped away from my husband and my family with not yeah. knowing what was going to happen. Like any time that I had to leave, any time I felt out of control of the situation, my anxiety, my nerves just shot right up. Like yeah. it was just this immediate sense of panic of, I don't have control over this situation anymore. What do I do? And so returning to work for me was really difficult. It took a long time. I didn't go back to work until about six months. And working through that process, it's still ongoing. Even two years later, it's gotten a lot better. But I still can recognize moments of that anxiety that starts to build up. And I just go back to some of the tools and things that I learned with meeting with a counselor and things that I researched on my own. I actually have done a lot of support stuff online, looking and joining different groups um, and learning that postpartum anxiety actually affects more mothers than it postpartum depression does. Yeah. And that it's just, it's unspoken. A lot of moms think that it's a normal thing to have this postpartum anxiety. Yeah. Um, when it's not, it really isn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, this can happen with anyone. But when you have a way that you become a mom that's a little more traumatic, that can definitely be part of it. But it's also hormonal. Absolutely. Like your hormones are changing so much from the time that you're pregnant to having a baby, if you're nursing, all these different things. Yes. So some things are completely chemical and completely out of the situation. Then the situation gets thrown in that. And you literally just brought a baby into the world. Yeah. I think sometimes <laughs> once we become moms, we forget about the fact that you like literally are now in charge of a whole nother human. Yes. And your life is completely different. And yes, it's full of so much beauty too, but it is life changing. Yeah. And you're all of a sudden expected to just know how to do it overnight. Yeah. And so it can be anxious. I was talking to a new mom recently and she was asking me about postpartum anxiety and my experience. And I always say I'm a pretty anxious person in general, but the difference for me, and I'm not a professional, not a doctor opinion, but my personal opinion 
is that where you really need to pay attention is when uh, whatever's happening is stopping you from doing something else. Yeah. So you can be fearful and scared. That happens in motherhood, in my opinion. Like you're going to be scared. You're in charge of a little human now. But when it's stopping you from doing something else and it's debilitating from you having experiences or going to the grocery store or you're really just living in constant fear, that's definitely when you need to get support. And even if you're not there yet, it doesn't mean to not get support. If you are scared all the time, you should get support and you're not alone. It happens to so many people. Yeah. But I think it's important to also understand we are doing things that are scary. (laughs) We're in charge of a human and they rely on us. And that is scary. Yeah. But there's a difference and you have to know when to get help. And the other thing that you said that I think is really important is advocating for yourself. Yeah. Because there are great resources and you had some that were provided by your doctor and your insurance and things like that. But you also went outside of that. Yeah. And I think that's really important because sometimes people will have an experience where they get in a an insurance covered or a doctor recommended room and they're not getting the support that they wish they were. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep searching. You have to keep looking. So was it truly just typing into Google yeah. or what were some of the best resources that you found and how did you find them? It's funny. Before I went on maternity leave, one of the moms that I actually was a coworker with, she said to me, she goes, don't want anything bad to happen to you, but take as much time off as you possibly can. Wink, wink. And I was like, what does that mean? And she explained to me a little bit of her experience with postpartum anxiety. So I really didn't know what postpartum anxiety was. And I probably wouldn't have even asked my doctor about it had I not had that little nudge from her. And her kind of telling me her experience. So it wasn't even with my first kid. It was her second kid that she had this come up. And when I reached out to my doctor, it was your typical, okay, this is our process. This is who you see Mm -hmm. first. And then from there, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then I took to Googling a little bit of what is postpartum anxiety? How much does this affect people? And then from there, was able to see a couple different websites that were focused on not just postpartum anxiety, but postpartum mental health in general, and really went to social media from that point on. I know that like we're in that day of age that social media takes over everything. But in this way, it was a good thing because I was able to see there are moms that experience the same thing I'm experiencing that have the same neuroticism that I am about whatever it is, whether it's the messy house or the person holding my baby or whatever it was, there were so many different things that would set me off. And being able to relate to other people that were having the same things made me feel less irregular, made me feel more normal, made, made me like almost allow myself to have this experience and have this feeling. And turned from I have postpartum anxiety as an excuse and an exception to like why you can't hold my child or things like that to it now being the reason why I'm creating boundaries and I'm okay with saying no to you yeah. because these certain things, you know, made me get triggered. And that was a lot of what I talked to my counselor about. Um, but really my counselor helped guide me to different um, resources and classes that weren't even postpartum specific. And so even from, again, the guidance that they gave me, it made it easier when I was looking for additional resources online and looking at social media. There's Postpartum International actually is one of the social media aspects that I followed on Instagram. And they talk a lot about the different um, mental health things that can happen. And they will focus on postpartum depression and they'll focus on postpartum anxiety and even prenatal because they talk about 
how these are things that can happen prenatally yeah. as well, not just postpartum. And so that was really helpful for me. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting as I made a switch into my career, now being a postpartum nurse, I watch for that stuff. And I look for the signs and symptoms in my patients and some of the things that maybe cause them to be a little bit more at risk for some of these things, mm-hmm. whether it's a previous history or it's a delivery experience or whatever it might be. And as a nurse, I have to be really careful about making recommendations because I can't be endorsing specific products or companies, but I do just try to help moms relate to this is something that I experience, and there are resources out there. I highly encourage you to look for them and yeah. to utilize them. The mommy and me groups that are local to the hospital I work at will recommend those. But I think if anything, that's where I found the most support. You know, I found a lot of knowledge and education from other resources online, but it was more the support that I found within the groups that I associated with my postpartum fitness group that I work out with, even though I didn't really talk about my anxiety, but just in general, us talking about these are experiences we're going through and stages that we're having with our kids of all kinds of different ages. Yeah, I had my one-year-old, someone had a newborn, someone had a two-year-old, and we were able just be able to talk about these different things. And with that could support each other through, oh yeah, I had the same thing and this is what we did. Or, oh my gosh, I have a six-month-old. Is that something that's going to happen when my kid turns one? Like yeah. what to expect? So just really utilizing your resources, um, whatever that might be. I think it's dependent on the person. I think it can be really hard to get out of that shell though too and mm-hmm. be able to be a part of a group and talk about it. I mean, I participated in an online um, support group postnatally um, with my anxiety and it was completely anonymous. It was over Zoom, but you couldn't see anybody. Yeah. There were no names. It was just voices. And we were all moms in different stages of our lives. And listening to each other talk about what was driving our feelings that moment. And it was all kinds of different stuff. And some of it I may have, you know, judged in that moment. And I had to step back and think like, I can't be judging these mothers on the things that are causing them chaos and expect them to provide me support. Like, and so that was also a really nice eye opener as well as I was sitting there and judging thinking like, that's not okay. I don't want to be that person. I want to support these mothers in their journey just the way that I want to be supported. And whatever is leading us to this journey is going to be different for everybody. And so that was a a really good experience too. But it's hard to say the least. There are, they don't make it easy for you to find resources out there. And I think that's something that our world can do a lot better when it comes to postpartum. I think moms are supported not in the way that they should be. Just to say that we only have one postpartum appointment when you see the doctor multiple times throughout your pregnancy, I think is just a tall tale sign that we're not supporting our moms enough in that first year. And I think it's actually beyond that first year, but that's when the first year is when you're like, oh, this is the first time I've done it. And this is the, now I'm getting thrown in. Yes. And you're actually the, I think it's, we all know this, but we don't actually stop and think about it is once you become your postpartum forever, it's not like a season that you're in. Like we know that on paper, but we don't talk about it that way. We talk about the season of postpartum. I know you're actually always postpartum once you've had a baby. Yes. And you can have symptoms of depression, anxiety, whatever it is that you may be navigating at any point. It's most common within the first 18 months, but it's, but it can happen at any point. And it can happen to our male partners too. Absolutely. It's not just us. So 
I think that's really, or I should say non-birthing partners. It can happen to non-birthing partners either way. And I don't think there's a lot of conversation about that. We're all here to just like hug and support (laughs) each other. Yeah. And I do agree, like resources in general need to be more common. And that's literally what built Mama House Goals was having a resource platform because I was in the same boat. I was like, why are there not more resources? I'm just like on Google and Pinterest and I feel right. like there's no one I can talk Hoping to. Hoping you find something that works for you. Yeah. And for so many different aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Mine actually started with organization and then yeah. I went backwards and was like, oh, wait, I should probably also get help and resources <laughs> around these other things. The other thing that you talked about was just like the differences between who you could talk to and about what and then seeing yourself judging others. And I yeah. think that's not just about postpartum, but just yeah. like a really important note for life is being able to look at yourself in the mirror yeah. and what are you giving help to when you're looking to receive help. Yeah. But then also on the flip side of that, you don't have to help or receive help from everyone. Right. And having those professionals or outside support, I think is really important because what I hear a lot of is people feeling like they can't talk to their current friends and family. Right. And th- sometimes you just can't because they're not helpful. And sometimes you just need to be able to hear it from someone else. Yeah. And sometimes someone else's story isn't helpful. Yeah. If, even if it's relatable, like even my story is not that relatable that has similarities to yours. Right. But it wasn't helpful in that situation and right. being able to have like other people to talk to. Yeah. So I think that's just really important, whether it's postpartum or anything else, like you really have to go find whoever can help you yeah. and go out and keep looking till you find that person. Absolutely. I have a couple of friends that started therapy and they talk about like the general person that starts therapy has to go through four therapists before they can find the one that helps them. Yeah. And I think that that needs to be said more because how many people probably start therapy and they go to the therapist and they're like, you suck. I'm not, and nothing against the therapist, but it's, not, it's just not a good fit. Yeah. And I think it's like the same thing with dating. Like how many people marry the first person that they ever went on a date with? So few. Yes. So why do we expect that from anything else in life? Exactly. So I think just keep going, keep working through that. And that really, the next thing I want to talk about is just how you've continued through that through motherhood. Yeah. For two years. Your lifestyle alongside <laughs> motherhood, like mine is chaos in a totally different way. Yeah. But yours is chaos in a way that I like can't see myself in. Yeah. And I think it's also super relatable to this community. So you're a nurse, your husband's a firefighter. Yes. You go through this experience, you continue to navigate it, you get back at work, you get back into a calling that feels a little bit more like yours yes. within the nursing environment, but your schedule is all over the place. Yes. And now you have to travel to work, leave your baby figure out firefighter schedule along nurse schedule and you've made it work, but it's been hard. And so what are some ways that one, you have said, yes, I want to go back to work and I want to keep doing this because I know you're super passionate about what you do. Yes. But sometimes people are like, oh, I just have to change careers. Yeah. So how have you been able to say, okay, we're going to figure this out. And I know we'll talk a little bit about the seasons and some of the other stuff you're pursuing. But initially, how did you say, no, I need to be here too? Yeah. So I have always wanted to be a nurse. I love my job. And it wasn't really a question of continuing. I definitely felt this angst and this kind of pull, obviously, towards my son and now my family of three and not wanting to be away from him. But I still wanted to be a nurse. Like I still wanted to be able to go to that job and help people even though sometimes they don't always want your help. And that can be really hard and trying in this career. I knew I wanted to make a shift and was really working towards trying to figure out 
how to make that shift in my focus in nursing. But in the meantime, it was also creating my own boundaries. And I feel like that's the biggest thing that I learned through my journey with my postpartum anxiety was creating my own boundaries. Where are my triggers? What am I comfortable with? What am I not comfortable with? And in that instinct, alongside my husband's crazy work schedule, it was like, I can't go back to work full time. That just, it, I was working 12 hour shifts, which means on a full time schedule, you're working 36 hours a week, which I understand that most parents who work like a Monday through Friday, they work 40 hour work weeks. But when I say that my work day is 36 hours, it's 36 hours and then some because you still have everything you have to do before you go to work, traveling and everything else. And a lot of times in the nursing world, you don't actually get off when your scheduled time is to be off. Things happen and you don't have the ability to control that. A lot of times my 12 and a half hour day would turn into a 13 and a half hour day. And so by the time I leave my house at 6 a.m. and get home at 8.30 or 9, it's done. I didn't have time to see my son. I kind of just really wanted to take that focus of like, where's my boundary? What am I willing to do as far as my career? And what am I willing to sacrifice for my job when it comes to my family? And really when it came to the sacrificing, I at first was like, I don't want to sacrifice anything. Like my family's first and foremost. And I think any parent feels that way, but especially because of my birthing experience, again, just I anything that pulled me away from my son in that moment was really hard to grasp. Returning to work was difficult and was very different, but going back part-time was definitely the best move for us. I was able to still go and have adult interaction and a work life, but also be able to say, hey, like I'm not going to work as much and limit the amount of time that I'm dedicating to work and being able to dedicate that time back to my family. And so that shift really made a difference, really made a difference. And obviously, I'm so here for doing for what feels good for you and picking the part-time schedule because that's what felt good, but also the reality of the logistics. Yes. I remember in that season when we were talking about it is you were like, there's no daycare open yes. at this hour and open this earlier, this late for the days that I need daycare. Right. I mean, my husband and I were trying to navigate, what are we going to do if I don't have any control over my schedule and we're yeah. working the same days? We obviously just can't leave our son home alone. We can't yeah. leave our son home alone for an hour and a half until a daycare opens. These things don't happen. And it was, it was a huge navigation issue for us, but like, okay, we also don't have anybody in our area to nanny, let alone do I trust anybody. In that moment of my life, I couldn't find any trust in somebody to be watching my son, really. And so it, yeah, to have to leave my house at 6.15 to be able to start my job at the time that I needed to with travel and everything else, same for my husband. It was like, what daycare is open that early? And also what daycare is going to allow us to pick up our kid at six thirty, seven o'clock at night. Like nowhere yeah. was open for 14 hours a day. And I don't blame them. Like who wants to be yeah. raising someone's kid for that long? Like yeah. they have to have a life too. They have to have their own boundaries. When like cities and metropolitan areas, there might be some of those options, yes. but where we live, there's not. Absolutely. And you've made it work, right? Yeah. So you've figured out how to make it work alongside your husband's schedule as a firefighter. Yeah. But he's made some different decisions to try to make it work too. But the nature of those businesses are 
you're unplugged while you're at work and you have to be physically present. You have to be there. You can't, I'm going to bring my kid today or, hey, I'm going to come in an hour late. It just doesn't work that way. And as someone that has that flexibility in their job, I admire that so much from you because there is not an option. And we talk about the other benefits of I can't ever not respond to emails. So there's other (laughs) things that happen. But it's so challenging as parent. It's so challenging to figure out who's going to watch your kid. So other than finding that person, how did you get yourself to a place where you could trust leaving him? Because you knew you've now had nannies, babysitters, yes. family watch him. Yeah. And I feel like you just ripped the bandaid off, but you feel pretty comfortable at this point. Yeah. So what are some of those mini rips that got you there? The first person that I had watching my son other than my husband and uh, myself was my mom. And that was the easiest thing to be able to say, this is the person that raised me yeah. and she was there during the whole process of my delivery experience. And so it was just an automatic for me. And there's a sense of comfort with my mom also with communicating with her. That's going to differ from anybody else that I communicate with and being able to say, this is what I want. Yeah. And being able to be open about how I was feeling and what my triggers were and those kinds of things. And whether she understood them or not, she accepted Listen. what I had to say. Yeah. She didn't question. She didn't judge. It was just, okay, and that was it. And so that helped a lot being able to have that. And I understand that not everybody does. There's yeah. a lot of people who live where they don't have any family at all. And I can't imagine, even though my mom works full time, I can't imagine not having her here to be able yeah. to support me through it. I think if that were the case, I probably wouldn't have gone back to work. Yeah. I think if I didn't have her as my backup resource, I wouldn't have been able to continue doing yeah. what I'm doing now. And so that was, like you said, I ripped the Band-Aid off, but it was my mom. It was a little bit of an easier Band-Aid to rip off. And then when it came time to having to put other people into that mix, I actually had an online training at home that I had to do. And I brought a babysitter in for that while I was there. So it was for a very short period of time. It was four hours. I was there in the present at home. And that was the first time I really had anybody outside of my family watching my son. And it made it much easier for me to feel comfortable about, okay, even though I'm not there in the immediate vicinity with my son, I'm just behind a closed door um, in the other room. I can hear everything that's going on. If I need to step away, I can. You know, I had more flexibility in that moment than I would if I was actually at the hospital. And so that made it a lot easier for me to step over that line for myself and say, okay, as I go back to work, I may not have my mom or my mother-in-law. I may not have family that can watch my son. So what am I going to do next? And who am I going to call on to? We have multiple friends, but they all have kids. They all have lives. And as much as they want to help, every time that isn't always going to work in either of our best interests. It just depends on when and who and where and all of that. And so had to step out of that box and see who else can I include in my village. And I actually saw a quote the other day, and now I wish I could remember where I saw it, but they always say, oh, it takes a village to raise a child. And this quote actually fought against that and said, it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to support a mother. Yeah. And I was like, that is a hundred percent true because yeah. it's not, you're not, I'm not asking you to raise my kid. Yeah. I'm asking you to support me in raising my child and taking care of yeah. my family. And that sat with me so well when I saw that, I was like, I wish that was what people said more instead of it takes a village to raise a child yeah. because 
realistically, it's the family that needs the support. It's that home unit. It's the parents that are needing the village, yeah. not just the child. Yeah. And so that's definitely what I felt like I've been able to build upon, just really utilizing very close friends, highly recommended people that I've been able to either observe on my own with my child ahead of time or family and things like that. My son has still never been to a daycare. He's never been to preschool. I mean, he's only two. So he's never been in that kind of situation anytime that he's ever been watched by somebody. It's either been in our home or in their own home. Yeah. And, you know, when the time comes, I'm sure that's going to bring a whole nother slew of emotions. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that just trying to expose myself and my son to other environments, other people and entrusting him towards being okay with other people. I think that this society also puts a lot of pressure on like our child being safe and what does that mean? And, yeah. and who are we trusting our child with? And can we trust our child with that person? And that drives like a whole nother level of anxiety. And it's not, that's not something I think about, but it's more of are my boundaries and my rules and guidelines being met when I'm asking for somebody to watch my child? Are they adhering to the things that I'm asking? And if they're not, then I don't trust you to continue watching my child. Yeah. If I have a conversation with you and I don't feel comfortable with the response that you gave me, sorry. And that's a boundary that I have found that I have tried to set as after becoming a mother, but also just with my postpartum anxiety. Again, it's something that I learned a lot about, just setting those boundaries and um, trying to let yourself be okay with the boundaries that you set. Because mm -hmm. we can set boundaries and say in our head, these are my two lines that I want to work within. But then also trying to enforce those boundaries on other people is really hard because yeah. you hurt feelings and you create rifts. But I still struggle to this day being okay with that and just trying to say like, I'm okay with this person being mad at me because I created this boundary. You yeah. know, it's something I struggle with, but it's something I also try to adhere to because I think as a mother, it's really important to create those boundaries, but also just as a person to create those boundaries for yourself and knowing whether it's postpartum anxiety or regular anxiety that you have triggers and you need to find your boundaries mm -hmm. to protect yourself from being a person you don't want to be. Yeah. And I know you so well to say like it's you do it in such good delivery, yeah. right? There are times where I've heard other people set boundaries and they're not well received. And it's like you could have maybe delivered that a little bit differently. <laughs> and like it's still OK to have that boundary yeah. that maybe delivered a little better. But the reason you can be confident in your boundary if someone doesn't respect it is because you delivered it well and your intention was good. But coming back to just like having that confidence and then you say, OK, I know I did what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And if that wasn't respected, then, yeah, this probably this person probably shouldn't be in my life. Yeah. If they're not willing to hear me out or listen. And like you said about your mom originally, they don't have to understand. Yeah. And I actually say that to my kids. Look, you can always ask me why. And you don't have to understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. I want you to he like hear a reason behind Absolutely. it. But sometimes you're not going to understand. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with someone else. Hey, look, this is my kid and my job is this and this. And you don't have to understand it. I'm doing the best of my ability. One of the things that I also really admire about you is while you're navigating like all of this through motherhood, you haven't ever stopped figuring out what you want to do next yeah. for you. And I think that's really cool because two things. One, you're going after something else that you want to do in the future. Yeah. But also there's a part of the you know you can't execute right now. And I think that is what's super cool about it because sometimes I hear from women, they're like, I can't do that right now, so I'm not going to get started. Yeah. And I 
understand why sometimes people do that, but it does make me a little sad because it's like, if you got started now, you'd be that much closer when you can get there. So talk a little bit about like some of the things you're pursuing and the certificates that you're doing for when you can do something a little bit different, even though you know you can't jump all in right now. Yeah. So just again, everything has been led from my personal experience. And I've always wanted to work within women and children, babies. That's always been my passion as a nurse. And getting into being a postpartum nurse has just opened that door for me. But even before I started working as a postpartum nurse, I was already developing on that journey for myself and looking at, okay, I had this experience with struggling with lactation. I was breastfeeding my son. And when I returned to work, had major issues with supply and didn't really understand because I never really got that coaching or education about what it was like to return to work and pumping and the scheduling demand and all of that kind of stuff. And so I took the opportunity to learn about becoming a lactation counselor. And that was just the very beginning of it for me. I'm working towards becoming a lactation consultant. It's an internationally board certified role. And so that's really exciting for me at this point in my life. I'm not like in a place to be traveling internationally, but it's something that could open that door for me to go and work in other countries with moms and children if I ever had that opportunity, which I think would be really exciting just because we as a culture do things way different. And it is really cool to see that some of the other cultures within our world take more to that like motherhood nurture and nature aspect. And so with that, I've learned a lot about that. But in general, I'm working on developing sort of where I want to be. I'm working towards my IBLC. So I've done that education. I just have to take the exam. That exam's only offered twice a year and you have to have a certain amount of hours of experience before being able to take that exam. So that's currently what I'm working at now. And most of that is in work experience. But there's so much beyond in hospital lactation that is where I really want to be helping because that's where I struggled was not in the hospital, not initially at home. But when I returned to work and trying to continue on beyond that six months, there's a lot of different recommendations out there on breastfeeding and everyone makes their choice totally fine no matter what way you go. But I think without the support and education, our moms are sometimes not even able to continue with the jobs that they want. As a whole, at Bonna Has Goals, we believe you should do whatever you want to do. But when you decide what you want to do, yeah. we want to support you just whatever you can do. And I did breastfeed both my kids. I don't always disclose that. Yeah. But I say it's one of the most challenging things that Absolutely. I experienced in motherhood. And I don't think people talk enough about it, even if it comes naturally at first. Right. That's just the one section of it. Right. And then the continuing is actually what I hear from most parents it's where it's harder. Yeah. And I think the only conversations that I really heard were about when your milk comes in, the first couple of days, Getting weeks, started. months. And yeah. it's like, no, when you go back to work, when... The child's now eating food again, or if they're sleeping, or once they're like yeah. super hungry and yes. things are just changing, or your lifestyle is different because you actually can do things with your baby now. So yeah. you're trying to balance all of that. And a lot of people don't talk about that. And like you said, supporting outside of the hospital, but also having the experience you had in the hospital. Yeah. There's only so much they can tell you that you're even absorbing. Exactly. You're just like, 
what in the world just happened to me? And is the baby eating or not? I'm like, do you remember them saying this to me? Do you remember us doing that in the hospital? Because I don't remember any of it. And I hear it all the time that like, we wouldn't continue to have children if we remembered how bad it hurt or what the experiences were like. And I think beyond that, it's like, I, there's so many things I don't remember about when I was in the hospital and as a nurse and taking care of moms. I try to also think about that. And I'm like, I am telling them so much information gonna that they are small not going to remember when they go home. And that's why I feel like, but you do remember the feelings, right? And right. Like being a nurse or being a mom, that's really what I think is important to focus on is, okay, how am I feeling in this moment? How is that person feeling in this moment? Yeah. And especially when maybe emotions or circumstances are high, yeah. how do we like bring that back together? Right. Yeah. And I can imagine as a nurse, that's like a huge part of your job. But I think as an individual, bring it back to us, I think that's where it can get really important is like really everything we've talked about, whether it's the hospital or like navigating work schedules and daycare or pursuing something else alongside of it is coming back to, okay, how am I feeling in this situation? And then what can I do about it? Because while as much as I do want to tell you, you can just sit and cry and hug yourself, eventually we have to get back up. So like having the ability to get back up and move forward and so you doing all these different certificates alongside how you can use that actually in your job. It yes. does align with what you do for a living. Yeah. But even if it didn't, yeah. you could be doing something completely on the side where yeah. you're doing certificates to go pursue at a later date and continuing to stay excited about like where you could go. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you don't like your job. That's the yeah. other thing that I think is really important is like, you don't have to not like where you're at to say, I want to pursue something else also yeah. or instead of in a little bit. Yeah, because I would love to be able to still do what I do, but maybe in a less formal capacity to yeah. not necessarily have a hospital tell me what my schedule is or be on the demands of these specific hours. Yeah. I have more flexibility. I think Maybe not for every mom, but for most moms, it's probably a dream to be able to say that to be able to say, guess what? I'm going to take these two hours and not be working. And instead, I'm going to work two hours when my kid goes to bed. I don't have that. And I would love that to be able to focus a little bit more where my time lies. But like you said, that also isn't always sunshine and rainbows either because you have emails coming in 24 (laughs) hours a day and you have to respond to them. You can't just turn off. But There are a lot of different resources that I follow, again, on social media, who have taken that same track that I'm trying to eventually maybe get to. And I've reached out to them and said, like, how did you get to where you are now? How much time experience did you have before you felt confident to be able to do this on your own without the support of a hospital? Yeah. Because specifically because I'm looking to be lactation amongst a couple other things, ultimately, my end goal and a dream would be able to be to support moms prenatally and postnatally, whether it's first year postpartum, five years postpartum. Yeah. And I don't want it to just be mom. I want it to be mom and baby. I want to be able to support during lactation and introduction of foods and nutrition during pregnancy and just an overall basis because I had that fitness and health aspect beforehand and it didn't help in the sense that my delivery didn't go as planned. My fitness instructor did an amazing job in helping prepare me for what would have been a very typical delivery. And because of my experience, we then redeveloped what my postpartum fitness was going to look like. And that's what I loved that she was able to take, okay, this is what ended up happening. Now let's redirect what your postpartum recovery is going to look like. And she, I feel like was an inspiration to me in the 
aspect of what happens prenatal can very much and in delivery develop what happens postnatal and how can we support throughout the entire journey because it's not just an x y and z the first nine ten months the first year and you're done it goes so much more beyond that and having multiple kids you can be in a postpartum and prenatal life at the same time like you said because postpartum happens for the rest of your life but then people continue to have babies and then guess what now you're postpartum and prenatal at the same same time so i just think that there's so many ways that we can still continue to do things that we love but choose to structure it differently and that is hopefully my goal what you did i mean you chose to say i don't have the resources that i want i'm gonna structure this i'm gonna create a lifestyle for myself when it comes to working that is something that I'm passionate about. Not that you weren't passionate about what you were doing before, but this created something that you could take what was happening in your life and your experiences right then and there and say, this is where my passion is right now and build and develop and grow on it and create the schedule that you wanted and the flexibility that you wanted all while still having an income and flexibility and things like that, resources and Yeah, I just think that being able to develop on something that I've already experienced personally in my life, but also work experience is a blessing that I have that not everybody does. But I think it's not because I'm unhappy in what I'm doing, like you said, but just that I'm looking for something different. When we have such a long span of life, right? And like you said, when I looked to pursue something else, it wasn't because I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. But right. I didn't feel unfulfilled in the moment yeah. until I realized what else there was. Exactly. And that's what I want to encourage people to do, too. And what is so great to watch you do it is until you challenge yourself to yeah. find better and more, you're settling. Absolutely. And you don't actually know like what you would be more excited about. And social media is good and bad, but you've brought it up a, good, a couple times. And it's been a huge part of my journey and my yeah. story, too, is when you search for good things on social media and you search for people to help you and support you in stories Mm -hmm. there's actually a ton of good out there yeah and it is up to you to be able to do that and also messaging those people not just following them that i literally would not be having this conversation today if i had not messaged a random stranger on instagram and been like hey how'd you get started doing what you're doing that's exactly what you said is sending the message and saying how did you make that transition how did you do that whatever you're looking to accomplish if you can find someone that's done a portion of it. It doesn't have to right. look exactly the way exactly. that you want to do it, but they've done a portion of it. Then you can be like, how'd you do that portion and really bring it in? I think that's so important. And I just think for anyone that's sitting and they have, both of us have had like things happen in our life. And yeah. I think so often things happen in someone's life and they use that as power to mm-hmm. move forward or they use it as an excuse about why they can't accomplish something. And I don't want to be like harsh or hard on those people, but can you imagine if both of us just sat in where we were right. and like didn't do anything about it? It's so important to be like, okay, this happened and what yeah. am I going to do with it? And yeah. it doesn't mean that you're going to switch it right away. Like you're even saying with your job and I didn't leave my job right away either. Give yourself a runway to right. figure out what you do want to do because you yeah. might go try something and be like, eh, I actually don't want to do that. I'm exactly. going to go back. But giving yourself the timeline of just exploring and being yeah. curious. And what a good blessing for our children to see us doing that. Because Absolutely. that's what we want them to do, right? Yeah. So I just think that's so important. And I think you do such a good job <laughs> about it and navigating all the crazy things at life. So let's just wrap this up with just some final routines and checkboxes that you do hit alongside this yeah. crazy life. Yeah. Because you don't have a consistent schedule ever. Right. 
Your husband does not have a consistent schedule ever, but you guys just bought a camper to go camping together. You do some really cool things to be able to figure out, okay, how are we going to be able to love our life alongside the chaos of this season? Yeah. And you also do a good job like taking care of yourself, connecting with your family and your friends, obviously. So how are some of the ways you like make all that happen? I think just grounding myself and grounding our family is like one of the biggest things that I try to focus on in every week or every month, depending on the week, the life that we're having in that moment. Like, what are we seeing going on? We just celebrated my son's birthday. We've had a lot of chaos lately just because we've been so busy. And regrouping is like the number one thing. And prior to it being fall and winter, like my son was taking swim lessons for six months and it was on the same day at the same time. And that was an opportunity to say, okay, like I'm going to be going to the swim lesson every week with him. And if my husband can join us, like we're going to do that. And that's something that's going to help just ground us and regroup us. And we try to pick one day if we're lucky enough to be off together in that week to say, okay, we are going to focus on our family of three, whether it's just hanging out at home and playing games, watching movies, reading books, that's fine. Or if it's going to the zoo, just finding something to regroup and reground, finding time to focus in with family and friends saying, okay, let's have a Sunday dinner with our friends this week. Let's do a Sunday dinner with our friend or family next week. Like just really trying to find an opportunity. I feel like there are so many opportunities for us to make excuses as to why we can't regroup and um, refocus and be able to say, we're just going to live right now like roommates raising the same kid. Like That's so easy to say and fall into. But I think because both of us are really focused on also making sure that like us as parents and us as husband and wife continue to grow and develop and not fall into that pattern, that we do regroup. We try to pick, okay, these are the months that we are able to take vacation time together. Again, whether it's somewhere really close or really far, what kind of travel is it going to look like? Are we involving other people? Just really refocusing, regrouping and finding an opportunity to say, let's slow down. Let's step away from your crazy work schedule, my crazy work schedule. Let's focus on our child because ultimately at this point, he is like the heart of our family. Not that If it wasn't for him, my husband and I wouldn't be able to still do those things. But now the focus has obviously shifted. We're parents. We have a child. So things are much more focused on him. And so it's let's take this opportunity now and say, what are we going to do with him? What are we going to do to make this day fun and exciting for him and for ourselves as a family? We just had Halloween. We went to the pumpkin patch. It was like three times that we went, but that's okay. It was different every time. But it was an opportunity for us to regroup and refocus and just be able to have some fun that wasn't always like scheduled list as often that is what it is. And it's so easy to fall into the habit of those stressors and those things that are your checklists that are constant, but taking that time to slow down is definitely absolutely key. And I hear keeping it simple. Yeah. Like it can be something at home. It can be a movie together or it could be going somewhere and doing something, but keeping it tangible so that it actually does happen. Cause if you overcomplicate it, then you're gonna be like, yeah, we can't go on that weekend getaway and right. pay for a room at Great Wolf Lodge and all these things that, yes. sure, on paper that is great and that could happen occasionally, yeah. but if that's your go-to every time you're together, right. then you're probably not setting yourself up. For yeah, because things cost money, things cost yeah. energy. When you have now a two-year-old, it's all about nap times and sleep schedules and when are we going to have time for just us and when are we going to have time for him and is yeah. he going to be fussy and things like that. Yeah. Just taking that season that you're in and being able to decide like, where are we going to prioritize regrouping and refocusing, keeping it simple and not always making it this extravagant, expensive 
time-sucking, energy-sucking activity. Every now and again, sure, that can be really fun, but you also have to think about what cost is that coming yeah. and regrouping. And almost sometimes those cause an additional regrouping of now that we've exhausted our expenses and our energy, now what do we need to do to regroup yeah. and reset for the week? Yeah. Yeah. This was such a good conversation. <laughs> Obviously, I could talk to you forever. That's yeah. why we've been friends for years. But I'm going to let you go. If you were to share what you're most excited about, a goal that you're working on currently, we talked about a couple of them, but what would be like the main thing that you're like, this is what's lighting me up right now? I would say, honestly, just continuing on in my journey towards developing a way that I can stay passionate in my career, but also be able to focus more on my time at home. My goal is just to continue on with these certifications and to not sacrifice too much on either end and spending lots of time with my family. That's always a number one goal. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Casey. Love having you here. You, your story, and what you have to offer this world fills me up. I want to meet you. Join me on Instagram at thisiskelseysmith, and let's create a ripple effect for Mamas with Goals. Together is better.